Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You are listening to the Thoughts from a Page podcast, which is a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name is Cindy Burnett, and I love to talk about books with anyone and everyone. While listening to my podcast, you will hear author interviews, behind-the-scenes conversations about various aspects of the publishing world, theme discussions with other book lovers, and more. For more book recommendations and a complete list of all of my interviews, check out my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Thoughts From a Page. On the first Thursday of each month, I will be interviewing someone in the publishing world about his or her job and what it entails. I will be speaking to literary agents, audiobook narrators, editors, people in marketing, bookstore reps, and more. For today's behind-the-scenes episode, I am chatting with Farida Bullert, Senior Marketing Manager at Berkeley. Farida is a native New Yorker with eight years in publishing across publicity and marketing. Her passions include highlighting and supporting diversity, equity, and inclusion inside and outside the workplace and mental health advocacy. She currently resides in San Antonio, Texas with her husband and a horde of animals. I hope you enjoy our conversation. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Welcome, Farida. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing great as well, and I'm so glad you're here to join me for my behind-the-scenes series. I cannot wait to learn more about marketing. I'm so thrilled to be able to give an inside look at marketing and publishing. I'm so excited for you to give that look because I think people have a lot of questions about how all of that works, and so I'm looking forward to learning a bunch myself. Absolutely. Here to help. And I want to thank Carrie Mayer, who connected us, the Paris bookseller author. So I appreciate that she put us in contact with each other so that you could do this interview. Absolutely. She'll be one of my recommended reads later on. So your title is Senior Marketing Manager at Berkeley, correct? Correct. Okay. So tell me how you got started in marketing. 
So I actually started my publishing career in publicity at Hachette Book Group and totally found happiness working with books. However, I was lured by the opportunities in marketing, the data, the creativity. So when a friend referred me to this opportunity at Berkeley, I knew I had found my place. I'm like so lucky to be part of such a forward-thinking and supportive team at Berkeley and PRH. I read so many books by Berkeley, so I was thrilled to pieces that we got to speak because it is an imprint that I work a lot with. So it's neat to be able to learn a little bit more about the behind the scenes there. Mm -hmm. So before we dive into the marketing questions, can you give me a good description of what the difference in marketing and publicity are? Yes. And we get this question a lot. (laughs) I know. I hear people talking about it all the time. So publicity is a powerhouse on their own. They pitch the book for review opportunities, events, essay ideas for placement. So when you see an author interview on TV or read a review in a publication like the New York Times book review or She Reads, for example, that's all publicity. While marketing works on advertising, consumer and industry outreach, both pre-pub and at launch. We want to build buzz prior to and after on sale. So if you've seen an ad for a book as you scroll online, or perhaps you've entered a fantastic sweepstakes, that's all marketing. So sometimes I get contacted by publicity and sometimes I get contacted by marketing. So there must be at least a little bit of overlap. Absolutely. There definitely is, especially these day and age as like influencers kind of overlap between both. So we do work in tandem with them a lot. And that raises another one of my questions, which is who makes up the publishing team? So you have a book, say, The Paris Bookseller for Carrie Mayer. Who all at Berkeley is on her publishing team in terms of the jobs? So when we refer to a publishing team, we generally refer to the editor, the publicist, and the marketer who are assigned to the book. And these are the folks that have the most direct contact with the author. This doesn't mean that, you know, our art department or sales might not be reaching out to the author. But when we mean publishing team, we mean that trio. And they work closely together. Correct. Got it. So what makes a good marketing manager? What makes a good marketing manager? I See, I like to answer that in two separate terms. I feel like it's almost as what makes a good marketer and what makes a good manager, as I believe they're separate jobs entirely. Absolutely. A good marketer to me is collaborative, but yet able to work independently, open to creative ideas and out-of-the-box ideas, but able to still rein themselves in and think logically when needed not only relies on data and trends, but aims to make their own splash in the media landscape. A good manager is thoughtful, encouraging, communicative, and helps guide their team to success. So as a marketing manager, you're overseeing other marketers, but you're also assigned books yourself, correct? Absolutely. Okay. So you have the job as marketing manager, which will entail additional things in terms of managing people and Mm -hmm. things like that at Berkeley, but then you're also working with authors. Yes, that is correct. Got it. Well, what does a typical workday look like for you? Oh, man, I wish I had a typical workday. <laughs> Generally, you can find me like, just, well, of course, glued to my computer, listening to either the Hamilton or Bridgerton soundtrack that's of, of late and working on advertising plans, maybe doing partnership research, attending various meetings, dealing with advertising. Previously, I was actually part of our DEI committee here at Penguin. So I used to do um, sit in on a lot of meetings there. And of course, supporting our team with whatever their needs are, whether that's, you know, pop-up meetings or attending a meeting on their behalf. And you're in San Antonio, correct? Yes, I am. So you do a lot of your meetings with everybody at Berkeley remotely? Yes. Generally, actually, the um, entire marketing department is working remotely right now. I figured with COVID, everybody was. Mm -hmm. And I know slowly but surely people are making their way back. 
But do you think that people will end up staying various places as a result of COVID and instead of not just in New York City? I think so. I think that's the direction the world is simply moving towards, not only in publishing or a PRH, but in general. And I'm happy to say that PRH is so incredibly supportive of the work from home life. They have been great. They haven't pressured anyone with coming back to the office. It's been really just good to have that comfort knowing that you have the support of your company behind you wherever you live. Absolutely. What's your favorite part of your job? My favorite part of the job is the creativity we have. The authors write such phenomenal books, and I always find myself imagining different campaign ideas or pulling quotes to feature on ads as I write. Of course, I enjoy the story itself. I just can't help that my mind doesn't turn off as I'm reading. I guess also that goes to my least favorite part of the job, which is like, I know you didn't ask that, but I have to share it. It's like my least favorite part would be not having enough time to read. Well, that was actually my next question. So that's perfect. You just leapt right in there. You know, that's been happening to me lately because there's so many things going on with the podcast and writing for She Reads and The Buzz that sometimes I'm like, okay, I need more time to actually read so that I can do this job. That's exactly how I feel. I, I There's not enough hours in the day and you always want to read for fun or you want to read outside of what your your house is publishing and it's just, there's not enough hours in the day. I do feel like that that is exactly the case. So you're reading a book and you're making notes as you go with ideas for a marketing plan. But as you get assigned a new book, how do you decide how you're going to market it? Like what's the process for coming up with a marketing plan for a particular book? So we work together with our sales team, our editors, really everyone to kind of decide the focus of the book and who our target audience is. And then we kind of are allowed to kind of go off on our own to create our marketing plans and our ideas. And whether it's a debut or a well-known author, we can work with our experiences and previous data performance to help inform our decisions for a successful campaign. That's one of the things I was also curious about was how the approach differs for well-known authors versus debut authors, only from the perspective that a well-known author will already have their name out there and a debut mm -hmm. author won't yet. Yes. And what's really great is like well-known authors have this established audience, so we know who their reader is. And the good thing about working in marketing is we look at audiences almost as data. We look at people as data, which sounds horrid to say, but it's how I look at it. So if I know, see, audience A loves book A, I also know they're going to love book B because it's a similar read. And even though book B might be a debut, I know that I can find the right audience for that. So while our plan may differ a bit for well-known authors or debuts, the data at the end of the day will help inform our decisions. And we use other things like if they are, you know, say they have connections with booksellers, or if they're influential in other spaces, we try to use as much of their own personal experiences to help inform our advertising and marketing plans. So how do you gather that information from an author? Their book is bought, the editors worked on it, it's getting ready to go out into the world, which I know is a lengthier process than I'm making it sound like. <laughs> Way before the book comes out, marketing and publicity begin to work on it. So it's, it's a far spread out process. But how do you find out from the author they have a connection with a bookstore? Or obviously it's easier to find the social media platforms, I get that. But how do you determine those connections that they might have or things that might be helpful for you in marketing? We love to have brainstorming meetings. We do that often, whether it's in-house or we'll do it with the author when we have a meeting with them about their book. Additionally, we'll ask them to fill out an author questionnaire, which has a bunch of questions such as like, 
Are there any influential media that will be helpful for publicity? Are there any stores or libraries that you have partnered with in the past or have good contacts with? We ask that all in advance. That's interesting, and it makes perfect sense, but I'm not sure I realized that. But of course, you would have to mine the connections that the author has or just their platform, so understanding who they already reach. Exactly. So with respect to interacting with the author, you've gotten all sorts of information from them about who they know and what context they might have. What about author blurbs? I'm always so curious about that. Who is responsible for asking for them or trying to organize them? The editors are. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. So that may not be something then that you know a ton about, but do they reach out? Do they ask the author to reach out? Do you know? They do a little bit of both. It's almost as almost similar to mining for influencers. It's reaching out to maybe the author knows uh, a big, another author in their genre space that the editor may not know. So it may go through the author to ask for a blur, but generally the editors will ask the authors or the editor for those other authors to consider for a blurb. Oh, that's so fun. I just had no idea how that worked. And it's interesting to me sometimes the division of labor and who's responsible for what. Absolutely. So what about getting the book into Indie Next or Celebrity Book Clubs? Who handles that or who handles the pitching for that? We work diligently doing outreach and we work in tandem with publicity for Celebrity Book Club picks and Indie Next picks. You decide who's going to be the one to pitch Indie Next to different influencers or booksellers, I guess, really for Indie Next, and then who you're going to contact for the Celebrity Book Clubs. Yes, pretty much. Indie Next is is such a monster on its own. And Celebrity Book Clubs are actually um, handled by our publicity team. So while we can do our pitching, while we can do our outreach there, sometimes it's left up to the mysteries of the universe as to how certain titles are selected. So we could do the work, but it's only it's only so much we can do. Absolutely. And with respect to Indie Next, I'm actually affiliated with a bookstore, so I get all sorts of Indie Next emails. And I think most of the time it seems like they come from marketing. Mm-hmm, that's correct. So I love looking at the Indie Next list and seeing who's picked. That's probably my favorite place to look for recommendations. Oh, we always are celebrating here when one of our books hit Indie Next. It's always a joy to know that booksellers love the book as much as you do. Absolutely. And it's also just such a good it's such a good validation because you know they're mm-hmm. going to be selling it like crazy and other booksellers that maybe weren't as familiar with the book will see the Indie Next list and then pick that book up. So I just think it's such a powerful tool. I agree. And then I guess on Celebrity Book Clubs, the publicity handles it. There has to be a whole process for that, like the right person you contact for Jenna, the right person you contact for Reese. I mean, I'm assuming it's pretty streamlined. It is streamlined, it's ha- but it is handled by publicity. Yeah. Do you think those celebrity book clubs are helpful? I think celebrity book clubs are wonderful and that they can highlight great works to large and influential audiences. And it seems to make such a difference most of the time for the books that are picked. I mean, they end up showing up on the New York Times bestseller list a lot, it seems like. I was going to ask you which one's best, but I think it's really all relative because it really depends on the type of books that you like and what you're looking for. And I think it kind of comes in waves for me. They'll be like GMA for a long time. I really love their picks. And then sometimes I'll have a run with Jenna. So it just really varies. Absolutely. And I think that's what's so great about having so many book clubs out there because you're introduced to so many different works that perhaps you weren't introduced to before simply because there are so many books out there. And you know we're all struggling with our TBRs. So When GMA shares something or Reese, it's always nice to be like, oh, that's something I should pick up. And I'm glad that they highlighted this important read to me. I agree. And there's also, as you know, 
so many books out there. And so it's just wonderful that there are people out there trying to promote them. Mm-hmm, absolutely. With big platforms, you know. Yes, it's it brings us joy to know that books are still very important to society out there. <laughs> absolutely. Well, COVID changed a little bit with marketing and publicity in terms of everything was digital for a while, but it seems like now there are some paper galleys again. Do you think that will stay? Like, what do you think the future of that looks like? I'm not sure, honestly. I wish I could give you an answer, but I think ever ever since you know COVID started, it's when you try to predict something, it's changed like two weeks later. So if things were to stay the same, I think we will continue to have print galleys. But I also think that digital galleys have given us such the opportunity to reach more booksellers, reach more librarians, reach media. And I do feel like folks have really opened up to digital first. Certainly, it gives you more flexibility. Absolutely. It's interesting because at the beginning of the pandemic, a lot of booksellers that I was interacting with were saying, well, I guess this just means print galleys are dead. But I don't think that seems to be the case at all, because I've definitely been getting a bunch of print galleys again. So it's interesting that thankfully that didn't come to pass. Now, I like both. I actually read both. I prefer print, but I do read digital a fair amount. And sometimes it's easier for me to kind of dip my toe in to make sure I'm going to like the book before I Mm -hmm. ask for it. I've been trying to really try that a little bit more if I'm kind of on the fence about a book. So there's definitely positives for both. Absolutely. I agree. And one thing that I know frustrates influencers from time to time is NetGalley in terms of, you know, whether they get approved or they don't get approved for a book. Who handles that at Berkeley? So both departments actually work on NetGalley. And by both, I mean marketing and publicity. Because NetGalley is used by media and booksellers and reviewers, et cetera, we both use it. So if you're having trouble on NetGalley getting approved, my suggestion is to make sure your profile is up to date, that you have links, that your bio is up to date, all that information is in there, because otherwise then we'll just have to deny you based off what you have. And I do think every publisher is different and they have to look at kind of what their needs are and how they want to handle things for sure. But I just think it's always so interesting. Now I'm a bookseller listed there, so I don't usually have a problem. But originally, it would seem so random sometimes as to why I would be approved and why I wasn't. But I know there's so much more going on behind the scenes than I would realize. Yes, there usually is. And there's a limit per book for the number of galleys you can approve on NetGalley. Is that right? Correct. So I know that sometimes factors in as well. Yes. So if you were denied, then we apologize. It's just, <laughs> it's just bandwidth and what we're limited to. And timing. You know, sometimes I'll learn about a book much closer in time to the pub date than another book. Mm -hmm. And so it may be by then that you've already used up all of your widgets. Exactly. That's another thing that you were talking about earlier in terms of targeting a particular audience because they liked book A, they're going to like book B. I always find that kind of interesting because I read across a wide range of genres. I can't ever find a pattern to it. So sometimes I'll feel like a book gets by me, not just with Berkeley, I mean, this was with any publisher, that gets by me that nobody pitched to me that I'm like, oh, I would have loved that book. But I don't know how you resolve that challenge or what, you know, whatever you want to call it, because it's difficult to make sure you've reached the right audience. It is, it is. And like when we do hear from anyone who says, oh, I wish I heard about this book. It's like, well, why didn't you hear about this book? Let's look back at our plan. Let's see, maybe there's something that we missed. So we're, it's always a learning experience for us too. And so when I get a print galley, usually there is a long list of the marketing plan, and it's really the marketing and publicity plan. So do you come up with that? Does the publicist come up with that? Or is that another thing that the marketing team does together or the publishing team does together? We do that together. So it'll be publicity and marketing. We work on our separate bullets, and then we 
put them together for the Gatley copy. I don't know why, but I always love reading that and seeing where the marketing is going and like what the idea for this particular book is. I'm so glad that you, re- <laughs> I always wondered if, if folks read that far and I love hearing that. This makes me, this sparks joy. <laughs> I read it every single time. And then if it's something I'm not aware of, I go look up whatever the organization is or whatever. I just feel like it kind of fills my gaps for me, but I also just find it fascinating because as I said, there'll be times when a book gets by me and I'm like, why did nobody mention this book to me? It looks so good. Like it just happened. It's not a Berkeley title, but it just happened recently. And I was like, I've never even seen this book. And it's a publisher I work with all the time. And I'm like, how did I get missed? So you kind of wonder, you know, what the process is like. But I know you're you're dealing with so many booksellers, so many influencers, the media. So you can't target everybody all the time. Absolutely. And again, there is so much out there. So it's always possible that we miss something or it just falls through the cracks. Although we try our best to make sure that doesn't happen. Absolutely. Well, how do you measure the success of your efforts? You talked a little bit about that early on in terms of numbers and looking at your data. But can you tell me a little bit more about that? I think it depends on what you define success as, because we look at book sales, we look at data metrics, reader reviews, and more. So reader reviews, when you go on Goodreads or a retailer site, you can go see the reviews at the bottom for the book. So sometimes we'll do early outreach to consumers. And you may have seen this on Goodreads, where you'll be able to win an early arc for a book. And we'll do that early to build up those early reviews and that early buzz for a book. So if there's really great buzz for the book early on, that can help demonstrate our campaign for on sale. So for those of us that do review early, what do you find to be the most helpful? Obviously, it sounds like Goodreads reviews. You can't really most of the time post on Amazon until the book comes out. Barnes & Noble, it seems to vary a little bit, I think. Sometimes it seems like it will let you, sometimes it won't. But what about like Instagram and TikTok now and some of these other places? Do you find those things helpful? Absolutely. I will never say no to buzz online or on social media. I I mean, what what's the what's the, what do they say? All publicity is good publicity. So sometimes all marketing is good marketing. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's true. It's just interesting because sometimes some of the publishers will say, well, don't do anything about it until close to pub day. But I'm like, but you really want to have somebody talking about the book before pub day. Right. And we, I mean, we do like when a lot of the action or buzz for the book is closer to publication. That's generally when consumers are most excited. Of course, it's we are excited for books nine months ahead of time. But if the book is coming out tomorrow, you're going to find my excitement way higher than a book <laughs> coming out nine months from now. No, that that makes sense. Absolutely. And I guess it's probably two different audiences that are being targeted too. So like if I post on Instagram five months out, most likely it's not going to be consumers, but it's going to be other influencers or bookstagrammers that may pick up the book. So you continue to build buzz that way. And then as you get really close to pub day, it's the people that are going to be buying the book and contributing to that aspect of it. Absolutely. You want a job in marketing? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I feel like that's one thing I've really had to learn for the podcast is a little bit more about marketing, but I have a long way to go. What's the most surprising thing about working in marketing at a publishing house? The most surprising thing about working in marketing in a publishing house is that we're a very niche space in the marketing universe. We, as a team, read a lot of marketing newsletters. I'm in a few social media groups that are just general marketing and general social media. And it's hard to replicate a lot of the advertising or the ideas and plans that maybe bigger companies might have, such as Nike or Dove. So it's almost like we have to take 
big ideas and bring them back to something that's more tangible for a book. Well, I guess your marketing is going to be a little bit different too, because Nike is really pretty much marketing their brand, maybe a particular shoe, but you're going to have so many books that you're trying to market. Exactly. And each book has its own team and it has its own plan. So while we try to take our learnings from other companies and other industries, it's it's such a niche space in that in the marketing and advertising universe. And it's something I've learned while attending other advertising events or dinners or conferences. That you could take a kernel and potentially run with that, but that the overall ideas probably aren't going to really be applicable. Exactly. Pre-COVID, several different times when we were traveling, I would be like in the New York subway or actually even over in London at a train stop, and there would be this huge billboard for a book. And I just thought that was the coolest thing ever, because I don't remember seeing that really prior to that. Now, I'm sure COVID has changed that a little bit with people not using public transportation quite so much. Mm -hmm. But it was just such a joy to me to be standing there on the New York subway platform, and all of a sudden there was this huge advertisement for a book. (laughs) I love that. I love that you noticed that. Well, if it's book-related, I'm going to notice it. (laughs) (laughs) But I just thought it was so fun. I thought, well, that's really clever. And I'm sure, you know, takes up some of the marketing budget, but is really great because you're going to catch all sorts of people. Exactly. And that's part of like billboards or online advertising. That's all part of the thought process when it comes to our campaign. Where is the best place to advertise this book? Where is the best place to highlight this book? And sometimes it comes through a billboard and sometimes it comes through online advertising, which is where we usually put most of our eggs in. I was just getting ready to ask that. With social media becoming more and more prominent, I am sure that is where a lot of your focus goes. Absolutely. A lot of advertising, a lot of influencer outreach, a lot of it goes towards social media. It's such a powerhouse, especially TikTok. Is there a way for you to quantify success on social media? It's hard. I think, I mean, with, for example, Allie Hazelwood and the Love Hypothesis that went viral on TikTok. So you can say that was very successful. However, that started from a user simply talking about the book and showing their enthusiasm. So that wasn't even us. That was just a consumer just sharing their love for a book. So it's hard to quantify social media metrics because it really depends on what our goal was at the time. So for example, if I was to run a Facebook ad, I would have to know like, what is my goal? What is the metrics I'm looking for? And I do think sometimes it's just finding that one person or those three people that just love a book so much that they're just going to start shouting about it everywhere. And sometimes they have a large platform. Sometimes they have a smaller platform and it just takes off. It really seems to vary. There doesn't seem to be one path forward that way. Exactly. And if there is, please call me. (laughs) Yes. If there was, I would try to figure out how to use it as well. (laughs) (laughs) I did not realize that Allie Hazelwood had taken off because someone had posted on TikTok about it. Mm-hmm. Just how Bookstagram is to Instagram, BookTok is to TikTok. It's a new place to go. But BookTok has really taken off. I'm not on there at all. But I mean, all these bookstores have BookTok sections. And I mean, it just seems like in some of these older books that are seeing a resurgence because of TikTok, it's fascinating. I agree. And I, I love it. I Especially the older books that are coming back to the forefront. Like I, I think it's great to just build buzz around great reads. I agree. And as part of my Patreon community, I do a monthly indie bookseller interview. So I pick a bookseller somewhere around the country and interview them about their job and their store. And so I interviewed Schuler Books in Grand Rapids, Michigan pretty early on. And they have had such success with Book Talk. 
and they have had a number of videos go viral and have seen their sales just go through the roof whenever that happens. I just think that's the coolest thing. I agree. Oh, I love hearing that. I'm going to have to check them out. Yeah, they're delightful. I really enjoyed speaking with them and they have really just pushed the boundaries of creativity and finding different ways to market. So, and it's interesting because that is another thing I have found when I have interviewed a few of these booksellers is they find college age interns who are going to be much more familiar with TikTok Mm -hmm. and they kind of let them, you know, they work with them, but let them kind of guide what the videos will look like and what's going to happen. And it's been really successful. That's really smart of them. I know. I love it. Yeah. Berkeley does have its own TikTok if anyone wants to follow Berkeley Publishing, where you might see me on there a few times. Okay, good. I actually do have a TikTok account because my son does all these sports videos and I follow Schuler and I follow him. So now I will add Berkeley. Yes. <laughs> It'll be my three people that I follow. Well, what trends have you seen in the publishing industry recently? Well, I would say like witches have been pretty big, like in Lana Harper's Payback's a Witch. We already mentioned Allie Hazelwood's The Love Hypothesis, like Steminist Romances are a hit. And I think werewolves might be next, personally. Really? Yes. Oh, that takes me back to Twilight. I know. (laughs) It's like all these ideas, they just revolve. You know, they cycle back eventually. That's funny. Mm -hmm. My daughter loves Allie Hazelwood and is so excited that she has a new book coming out. And then she had some novellas that were in Libro FM that I grabbed for her. So she's a huge fan. She studies STEM herself. And so she just thinks it's so great to see those stories. Oh, I love that. See, these are the stories that I love hearing. To reach readers with books that reflect themselves, I think that's what's really important. And that's what I love about my job so much is we publish such a diverse collection of books that there really is a book for every reader. And even I'm going to share some insider news. I got to look at our spring 2023 list and we have some great titles on there that are just phenomenal reads. And I think they're going to be life-changing. Oh, yay. That was one of the things you mentioned earlier that we haven't really talked about how far back you start. So when a book is coming out, say it's coming out August, 2022, when do you get assigned it? And when do you start working on it? We probably are assigned titles. So let's see, August, 2022, that'd be a summer. So we probably would have been assigned last summer. Okay. So about a year out. About a year out, correct. And then you begin working on the marketing plan, the publicity plan, you all work together. When do you really start to implement the beginnings of the plan? At least six months prior to on sale. That's just amazing. And I guess it just takes that much time to sort of get everything up and out the door. Exactly. Well, I have loved this conversation. I have learned so much and it's all just fascinating to me. And before we wrap up, I would love to hear about some books that you have loved and would recommend. Well, first, I have to recommend a historical fiction treat, Carrie Mayer's The Paris Bookseller. It's a beautiful ode to Sylvia Beach, the owner of the Parisian Shakespeare and Company about the woman who worked tirelessly to publish the famous Ulysses. The second book I have to recommend is a supernatural thriller, Simone St. James, The Book of Cold Cases. If you love true crime with a touch of supernatural spookiness, that read is for you. I love Simone St. James and I love Carrie too. But we hosted Simone here for our literary salon right before COVID hit in February of 2020. And she's just delightful. And I actually have interviewed both of them for the podcast and really enjoyed both books. Yeah, they're, they're such great reads. And what's even more of a treat is they're such nice people. Like, I love working with great people. And this makes me want to see their books succeed even more. Well, Farida, thank you so much for joining me in the Thoughts from a Page podcast. I learned so much and I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate being here. Coming up on 5-Minute News. I'm Anthony Davis. 
You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you like this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts From A Page. Consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content and support the podcast. Tell all of your friends about the show and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. I hope you'll tune in next time. Hi there, I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardknowpodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no.